This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello and welcome to A Dungeon Master's Handbook. My name is Michael Shorten, Chicago Wiz, and this is a special post-GaryCon 10 2018 episode. Welcome. Uh, if you notice that I sound a little tired or my voice is a little croaky, it's because literally I just returned from GaryCon about two hours ago, and I am both exhausted as well as just excited and pumped up and full of energy after uh, what was a really wonderful gaming convention. It really was wonderful. And before I forgot, I wanted to share with you three lessons that I learned from Gary Khan. So hence why I'm doing this right now. Uh, we'll return next week with uh, with more normal campaign uh, uh, campaign uh, focused episodes. Told you I was tired. Um, there's three lessons I wanted to share with you about running games at events. I learned these or relearned these at GaryCon, as it were, as well as I kind of wanted to share with you probably the nerdiest story that I can tell you about myself from GaryCon. So, uh, hope you stay with me and, uh, enjoy the episode. Okay, lesson one. From the first game that I refereed, which was a Chaos Wars uh, miniatures war game, as well as the very first game that I played. That rule is simplify your rules and your game. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Um, if you've ever heard about or played Chainmail, you know it's a ra rather idiosyncratic game, has its weird rules and its little uh, uh, you know, oddities about it. And it's not necessarily the most simple game to play if you're just playing straight from the rule book. Well, for the past few years, I have been playing in chainmail games run by a gentleman of the name of Kevin Kabai. He's part of the uh, Historical Miniatures Gaming Society out of the Midwest here. And he runs a lot of chainmail games that are based on the Tolkien universe. Quite frankly, I've, I've never seen someone who loves this universe so much. Um, he runs a popular game called Orcs Drift, which is a little bit uh, of taking the, uh, I believe it's the old uh, uh, Zulu uh, scenario of the British surrounded, and he converts it into using orcs. Uh, I played in a game that he ran out of uh, um, the uh, Lord of the Rings type setting with uh, Glorfindel facing the Witch King of Angmar a couple of years ago. And then this year, I played in uh, his game where it was Baron and Luthien fleeing uh, Angban and uh, the forces of evil there, the forces of Morgoth. So why does Kevin do such an awesome job of making Chainmail simple? He does this, and I do this as well with Chainmail. He simplifies the game. He strips a lot of the stuff out that just takes time to look up uh, or just, you know, takes a little bit of mind-bending, like the morale rules. He does away with them and came up with a simple D throw one D6 for certain units rules. Um, he 
simplifies things with the combat and with the movement and and just in general you feel like you're playing a very fast-paced war game but it's still chainmail there's still the different troop types there's still you know the the charts of you know one die per man or three die for this man five or six kills uh, some of the movement rules the overall flow of the game uh, you know, two movements, two melees per turn, that sort of thing. He does a really good job of that, but he presents it in such a way that it really plays fast and furious. Um, he also has put a lot of time into really simple charts. You get a unit card, and it has all of the information on there that you could need to know about running that as well as some flavor and as well as any special rules that you might need to know and he does this for every game he's put a lot of time into it but the net result is is that the people that come to play his chainmail games you can come in there and not know chainmail at all and walk out and you have gotten the full feel of a chainmail game i've seen it many times and it's just wonderful so other things like he puts the uh, to hit charts right there in the bottom of the dice roller. I'm talking about those octagonal dice rollers that you can get, you know, nice ones. It's right there. So you don't even have to look it up in a book. You just roll the dice and look down and you see what you got. Um, his turn tracker, very easily laid out. He uses a little magnetic indicator to, uh, to indicate what you know what phase we're on and whose turn is it and it's just really wonderful to see his organization that makes it simple for the players to jump in and play and I've stolen a lot of those for uh, my own Chaos Wars game um, I use simplified convention rules without all of the modifiers and all of the the nitnoi but I still provide units that are diverse enough to get people a flavor of chainmail. They can play with the creatures, they can play with the characters, but there's not all of the complexity added on there. Um, I make it easy to get in and start combat right away. I position the units so that if you really want to, you have about a turn of movement, and if you move fast enough, you can be in combat right there after the first turn. Uh, most of the time people come to convention games, they don't want to do a lot of movement, a lot of maneuvering. They want to get to the battle, and I give it to them. So, that's a little bit about my first uh, rule, simplifying your rules, simplifying your game. The next lesson, and I learned this, uh, or I did this in my AD&D game that I ran, is to make your dungeon have flavor and get it, make it so that the players get involved in it right away. You know, I've played in a lot of dungeon games at uh, conventions like Gary Con, and partially I do it just to have the experience, but partially I do it to see how the DMs do things. What do they do that I like? And by and large, the games that I love the most are the ones where the, the DM has appealed to me with their imagination in the things that they do in their dungeon. These dungeons have their own feel, they have their own quirks. And those are the kinds of dungeons that I find I really enjoy and I see other people enjoying. I'll give you an example. Uh, my friend Jay Sharp, who I've gotten to know through online and at these conventions, he ran a swords and wizardry game called Buried. And as you might imagine, just from the title alone, you're in a dungeon uh, expedition where you have been buried and you need to find a way out. What a great startup. And it gives you an immediate mission 
that you can hook on to if you want and, and go with. It's very evocative how he does things. He puts in little quirks and little flavors that make the dungeon interesting. Uh, example, there was this trough that was running through a bunch of the rooms. We didn't know what it meant, what it was used for, but it went a certain path. Well, we followed that trough because, hey, this is something interesting. This may mean something. Completely bypassing other rooms that, well, in hindsight, were actually very important to go through. But it gave us that hook and it gave us our own way of having an adventure that we liked. And it was such a simple thing. It's those little things like that that I find good dungeons have. And I try to do that as well. I try to add in the flavor, like the air smells different. Uh, you know, there's mist around your ankles as you move. And in some rooms, it's knee high. Some rooms, it's waist high. I don't ever explain it. I don't ever give them a reason why. But it adds to the player's excitement and mystery because where did the mist come from? Why is it here? Is it poisonous? Is it flammable? What will it do? Will it change? Will it suddenly come alive? Oh, and it hides monsters that crawl or are on the ground, too. So, surprise! Uh, things like that. Just describing, you know, the dungeon. You know, mossy, mold-covered walls, grimy floors. But in one area, it's completely clean. What does that mean? Who's doing it? Is it a gelatinous cube? What is it? Just those kinds of little touches that really hint at the weird. Um, things like doors shutting when you enter a room and you go further on and you come back the door shut you got to re-roll to open it again it used to be a uh, standard of old school games i find that it really creeps players out and it's a fun little thing that you can do that makes them one go what's going on and two if you're the type like me that likes to have wandering monsters each one of those attempts to open a door bang bang echoes through the dungeon and it's like the wandering monster dinner bell that gives the players the impetus to try to be as quiet as possible and to get through the dungeon as fast as possible i also find that the interesting dungeons get players interested in going on and the rest kind of takes care of itself I have played in dungeons where, even with some of the luminaries of, of the game, their dungeon was just go down a corridor, open a door, here's the encounter. You know, the, the, there's. I want to hear their imagination. I, I want to see this dungeon as they are. I want to feel this game. And I also want my players to feel the game. So for that, I try to be as evocative as possible. You know, in my mind, people pay good money to come to events. And sure, I'm doing the event a service by running a game, but you know what? People are taking the time. They're taking four to five hours out of their day, and they're sitting at my table. Well, you know what? I kind of feel like I owe it to them to give them the best experience possible. And so I try to pull them in as quick as possible. I always recommend starting in media res, get them involved right away, whether it's a combat, a situation, a choice, a puzzle, whatever it is, get them engaged because a long read-along or a long back history, players are going to fall asleep on it. Trust me. I've been there and I've done it to players, so I don't want to do that anymore. 
All right, that's enough about that. Let's get on to lesson three. And unfortunately, this is a mistake I made during uh, my uh, Battletech game, MechWarrior game on Sunday. Don't get bogged down. Oh my goodness. I had a great MechWarrior RPG portion to a Battletech game. I have a kind of a convention uh, campaign world for Battletech that's sci-fi horror. Uh, if you take the best parts of Event Horizon and other horror games like that and put it in the Battletech world, it's an awesome combination. Um, so there was an RPG portion. The players' uh, mechs were shut down. They had to go disable a uh, EMP-emitting tower, or actually re-enable it, and figure out why the town's people were acting like zombies. There were blood-sucking flying things, Sturges, running around and maddened dogs and just all sorts of chaos happening. Um, for about the first hour and a half and two hours, they were very engaged in this. But I didn't pay attention and I was too caught up in well, we're going to have a random encounter. I rolled a random encounter, so we're going to do it. Oh, look, they got to the tower that they have to turn back on to turn on the regular communications. But no, there's supposed to be a guardian there, so I ran with the guardian. Well, these players came to not only play Mech Warrior, they also came to play Battletech. They only got about an hour's worth of mech-on-mech -mech action. And, I, you know, while they had fun, I could tell that a few of them left a little disappointed. It was a note to me. I should have probably planned maybe a couple of set pieces, no random encounters, and just dealt with that. And I think I would have given them the flavor of the horror that I wanted to, as well as giving them the experience that they came for, which was a Battletech game. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's my fault. That's uh, uh, bad Chicago whiz. Um, I've, I always take notes after my games of things to do better, and when I, if I spin up this scenario the next time, I'm going to make sure to uh, keep that in mind. All right, so the geeky, slightly embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. Uh, I grew up in the 70s, and I grew up watching syndicated reruns of Star Trek, the original series. And when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I wanted to be Captain Kirk. I wanted to be in a gold shirt, running around the Enterprise, you know, doing the things. And even if I wasn't Kirk, I wanted to be part of the command staff. Well, obviously, that's not going to happen. But I had a game this weekend that just simply took me away to that time. Um, it was a gentleman by the name of Christopher Miller. He ran a Star Trek GURPS game called The Karachi Mission. It was set uh, right after the uh, original series episode called Balance of Terror, where Kirk and a Romulan faced off for the first time. And this game took place right after that episode, still near the Romulan neutral zone. The setup was that a ship, the Karachi, that had been lost 45 years ago, was discovered floating in the neutral zone, and Kirk was going to recover it or scuttle it. He didn't want the Romulans to get a hold of it. It was a fast-paced, fun game. 
Um, the way that uh, Chris set it up, the way he ran it. And he was really easy going, but he kept everything flowing. He had a great simple scenario. The rules were simple. You could jump right in. And I may have made sure that I got the command uh, lieutenant uh, player card as soon as I saw it. I got to fulfill my dream. I got to be a command shirt. I know, geeky. But it was great. I got to suspend reality for two and a half hours and play in what ended up being a risky mission. I got into it. I'm like, I'm going to protect my crew. I'm going to make sure that they get away, even if I have to sacrifice myself. And I was actually setting things up so that that might have to happen. But we came up with the most cockamamie, wild way of getting off of this completely dead, derelict ship, disabling the Romulan warbird that was uh, keeping the Enterprise's shields up and unable to get us back, as well as scuttling the Karachi. Mission success. Although, as it turns out, um, by sticking to the mission, we completely bypassed the part where this was a uh, perhaps a, a pre-Borg type of uh, scenario as well. But we all ended up having fun and I got to admit, when I left that table, I had such a ridiculous buzz of having fulfilled my childhood dream and having for two and a half hours gone back to just that kind of, you know, that kind of geeky thing of I'm going to be like Kirk. That to me is the power and fun of what we do at a tabletop gaming, that we can take people away and let them be someone else and come away with that little buzz and that little excitement. And you know what? I want to give everybody who comes to my table, whether at a convention or even at my home games, that same feeling of, I am never forgetting that game. All right, so a few shouts out, shout outs to my friends and folks that I saw there. Um, a big hello to the Historical Miniatures Gaming Society Midwest, Steve Forte, Kevin and Lorraine Kabai. Always, they always put on uh, fun games at these conventions. So if you get a chance to ever hop in one of them, I highly recommend it. Um, Larry from the Follow Me and Die podcast. Uh, if you get a chance, give his podcast a listen. Wonderful guy, wonderful podcast, and he's a lot of fun to have at the table. Matt Finch of Mythmeer Games. Uh, he's also started a podcast slash uh, video blog series you might have seen. Uh, he's the gentleman who wrote uh, Swords and Wizardry. Um, we have known each other for 10 years, and finally at this GaryCon, we got to see each other for five minutes. Yay! Hi, Matt. Um, Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends OSR Podcast. Good to see you, my friend. Alan and John of Black Blade Publishing, uh, always wonderful people to talk to. They've got, they do wonderful things with OSR-related uh, modules and adventures. Give them a look. Uh, shout out to Michael Curtis, he of the Stonehell Mega Dungeon book and uh, uh, currently working with Goodman Games. It's always great to see him. Don't let him get you hooked on the long, dark video game. It's addictive. And I gotta admit, there's lots of other people that I saw at this wonderful convention. I am simply forgetting because I've had a huge lack of sleep and time change fatigue is hitting me. So I've forgotten you, I'm sorry. It was so good to see you all. 
All right, that's about it for now. Next week, we'll be returning to our normal subjects of how I do things in my campaign. And we're going to be talking about mapping and keying. So I hope you'll uh, stay tuned and listen in. I want to thank you all for the kind comments that you've been setting, as well as the constructive criticism. I'm trying not to tap the table. I'm really sorry about that. That's a bad habit. In fact, right now I, I'm holding onto my shirt sleeve so that I don't do it. Um, I do hope that you'll subscribe either to iTunes or on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts, and that you'll keep on listening. You'll keep on sending those comments and suggestions, and please share with your friends. I'd love to see a lot of people try out things that I'm talking about. Uh, speaking of trying out things, I hope you'll check out my Three Hexes uh, blog series on my blog, chgowiz-games.blogspot.com. It's a weekly series of campaign starters using only three hexes for you to use and modify. Here again, it's meant to show you you don't need to do a lot to start off with an awesome campaign. I hope you'll give those a read. All right, until next time, game on.